thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome along to Football Digest Extra Time with myself, Ned Keaton. I'm joined today by Kieran King as we run the rule over the latest uh, from the transfer window. And Kieran, there's one big story that came out over the weekend that we really have to start on. Um, and it looks like the end of the road for Harry Maguire at Manchester United. Uh, stripped to the captaincy by Eric Ten Hag. Um, wasn't really a mainstay in the squad last season. Um, was pretty much captain in name only, I think, you know, without being too disrespectful to him. The fact that he wasn't obviously playing that much. And there were question marks, there have been question marks all summer long um, about his future at Manchester United having been out the side so much last season. I suppose they're only going to ramp up now. I suppose there's there's one word that could shoot, sum up this kind of whole situation and, and now where we've got to for, for Harry Maguire. And I suppose the one word is humiliating, isn't it? You know, to be, for any captain to ever be stripped of it, it, it is humiliating. There are no other words for it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, as you say, last season he was sort of captain, but you know, secretly, you know, Bruno Fernandes was the captain because he was playing week in, week out. And obviously, Sandro Martinez and sort of Rafa Aran were, were sort of the first choice centre-backs. So, you know, it is, you know, it must be frustrating for him because, you know, he was signed for £80 million four years ago. Um, he took the captaincy off Ashley Young after, you know, just six months, I think it was, um, after he left to join Inter. Um, and obviously he's been captured ever since. Obviously he was a mainstay sort of under Ali, um, kind of Solskjaer. And then slowly but surely he's been weaved out the side. Um, and I think for me that there's only one way, you know, this can sort of end up now and that's, you know, Maguire leaving. Um, you know, obviously there has been rumours saying that West Ham are interested in him. Um, I think that would be a decent move. You know, he's still in Europe. I think there are also other clubs that, you know, should look at him because at the end of the day, he's still in England international. He's still got a lot to offer in the game. Um, you know, he's a terrific defender when, you know, he, he's on form and he's got confidence. You know, when he was at Leicester, he was terrific. You know, although, you know, some Leicester fans were, were obviously delighted with the, you know, the money they could, you know, scoop for him. Obviously, 80 million pound, a record at the time um, for a defender. Um, I still think a lot of Premier League clubs would take him, you know, like, Good on the ball, good in the air. You know, can chip him with five or six goals a season from set pieces. Um, you know, and also he's a terrific defender. You know, many forget. You know, the mistakes he's made. People always remember the mistakes he's made, but he's actually a really good defender. You know, one v one. He's not the quickest, but you know, he reads the game really well. And I think he would be a great addition to many teams. In terms of, and you touched on it a little bit there uh, about where this leaves Maguire and Manchester United. And I suppose this is the end game that we're in there, isn't it? There is no way back for him. You know, I, I know he was quite vocal last season about saying that he wanted to stay, you know, he had been linked, I think, even in January with a potential move away from Manchester United. One or two clubs were interested in it, but he was adamant during that period that he wanted to stay and fight for his place at Manchester United. You know, even even in the closing weeks of last season as well, that was still noises coming out from the Maguire camp that he wanted to stay there. But this is just another step, another... You know, it will come on to Ten Hag in a second, but for, for Harry Maguire, this is, we're, we're in the final weeks of his Manchester United career, surely. Yeah, I think so, personally. I mean, it was it was really telling last season when Luke Shaw was getting the nod at centre-back instead of him at times when, uh, 
either Varane or Martinez were injured, um, or both of them were injured, and Lindelof was playing alongside Shaw. For me, that was really, really, really telling that, you know, Maguire couldn't even play in those games. Um, and I think for me, yeah, I think he just, you know, for the purpose of his career, as well as, you know, for the benefits it will give other clubs around the division, I think, he, you know, I think it'd be best if he if he moved on and, and found regular game time because, you know, as you say, as I, I keep mentioning, I think he's good enough. You know, there's there's no doubt about that. He wouldn't, you know, Man United wouldn't have paid £80 million if they didn't think he was a good player. I just don't think it's worked. And I think the sheer size and scale of the football club, I think it's affected him. And I think, you know, some players, you know, aren't sort of, you know, capable enough to be playing at that level week in, week out. And maybe Maguire just isn't, or maybe just isn't the right fit for him. And maybe Ted Hogg's style of play isn't right for Maguire. Um, so I think, you know, I think we are seeing sort of the end of Maguire's time at Man United. And if you look back on it, it has been, you know, a little bit, you know, a little bit mixed, but, you know, he has helped them to a second place finish. I've seen 20, sort of 20, 2021, the Solskjaer in the behind closed door season, you know, and he has helped them to, you know, finals as well. So you know, I think it has been quite a successful time, um, but not sort of the outcome, you know, many fans were hoping for when they signed him. In terms of Eric Ten Hag, I suppose this is him continuing this fairly ruthless streak that we've seen all along. You know, I think he demonstrated it quite early on in his Manchester United career with the with the treatment of Cristiano Ronaldo and the eventual uh, his eventual departure as well, uh, just before the World Cup last year. We're seeing this again now. To to take the captaincy away from your captain is a very strong move from any manager at any time at any club. Clearly, Eric Ten Hag doesn't think Harry Maguire is the kind of centre-half that can play in his style. Didn't play him a lot last season. Whether or not this is, you know, being him being honest and understanding that there's no point having a captain that isn't going to play that much for you, or whether or not he is trying to perhaps, you know, kind of say to Harry, maybe it is time for you to move on and this is another way of doing it. I'm, I'm not entirely sure there. But this is definitely Ten Hag showing that that he has this ruthless side in him. You know, and we saw it from now and we're seeing it and now with with uh, Harry Maguire and I suppose for the rest of the squad it kind of shows them who exactly is the boss of this side and, and Ericsson Arg is keen to put that down and, and so that he's the one that has all the authority and all the power. Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing that you can give Ten Hag credit for is that he's made some big, bold decisions. Like there have been some serious decisions he's had to make at that football club after they finished sort of sixth in 2021-22-2 and he's done it. Whether some of them have been right, you know, not all of them have been right but at the end of the day, you're going to make mistakes as a manager, but I've been mightily impressed with him, you know, since he took over a year ago. Um, they didn't play the most attractive brand of football last season. You know, many people were praising sort of the way they played, but I didn't think it was particularly attractive. A lot of on the counter attack, a lot of sort of percentage football, but I was mightily impressed with the way he managed to turn them into more of a winning winning machine. Like they, they won a lot of games at home, one or two nil. You didn't score too many goals, but they... Certainly, you know, sharpened it up at the back. Obviously, De Gea, you know, who has now left, obviously kept the most clean sheets in the Premier League last season, which, you know, tells, you know, a story of itself. So, you know, the, the amount of decisions he's made, obviously the Ronaldo decision, you know, springs to mind, you know, obviously, that you know, arguably the greatest player of all time, you know, certainly in this modern generation, you know, within the top two alongside Lionel Messi. Um, but he decided to make that decision for the best of the football club. And, and in my opinion... It was the the best decision for the football club. You could see 
you know, it, it wasn't working. It really wasn't working. And I just think they needed a new new strategy. And, and I think for me, that has worked perfectly. So you can't really fault too many of your decisions. And, and, and I'm sure United fans would back Ten Hag if he decided to sell Maguire this summer. Um, similarly, if he decided to sell Sancho or decided to sell Langer. You know, many players obviously have been linking their moves away. And I think many, you know, the United fans have now now trust Ten Hag in what, what he's doing. In terms of Maguire, just going back to him though and his future and, and where he could lie, um, you know, come September 1st and whatnot. Mentioned there about West Ham, they look to be leading the race for Harry Maguire. Do you think the move to the Premier League and, and staying within the Premier League is best for all? And, you know, we've seen some players as well in the past, um, when it's not worked out for them and, and the kind of, you know, being out of the spotlight a little bit, you know, obviously Chris Smalling does come to mind when he went out to Roma and yes, he's, he's not got back into the England squad, but he's rebuilt his reputation um, as a, as a really solid defender. He's, he's done that, you know, he hasn't got him back into the England squad as he probably would have hoped for. But I'm just wondering whether or not, you know, as we said there, West Ham and even the race, he probably will stay in the Premier League by all accounts, but could a, a move to, to Europe perhaps be, better for Maguire so that he is away from this spot like that he is out of the focus for a little bit and he can just focus on Playton rather than you know focus on trying to show Ten Hag he may have been wrong to remove him the captaincy from Man United Yeah I think if, if, you, if you look first of all in teams you know in the Premier League that he could move to I think uh, there are a couple that you know would definitely take in um, for example I think uh, one that springs to mind uh, over the West Ham is Wolves and they've lost Nathan Collins to Brentford um, and obviously Conor Cody, although he was on loan Everton to Leicester. Um, and I think they could do with somebody, you know, with a bit more experience, a bit more leadership at the back, um, alongside Max Kilman. Obviously, he's been linked with a move away as well. Um, obviously, they've got Totti and they've got they've got a number of other you know, exciting players, you know, defensively wise. But I think they could do with somebody of Maguire's experience, especially after losing Ruben Neves as well and Jao Moutinho. They've obviously lost a lot of leaders in the dressing room. You know, somebody with Maguire's experience will be invaluable for Wolves. So I think that would be, you know, a really good signing for them. Um, and obviously West, you know, West Ham and 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 maybe, you know, I, I, although I don't think he suits their model and their structure, Brighton. I think obviously they lost, you know, Levi Colwell. Obviously he was only on loan. You know, there has been links that could come back permanently. Um, but I think with, you know, Brighton in Europe, I think they do need a bit more experience, a bit more leadership in the squad. I think he would be a decent signing for them. Um, and then looking abroad, obviously, you know, you mentioned Chris Morlin. Um, obviously, he moved obviously to Roma and he's been, you know, excellent out there. So um, I think it would, you know, I, th- I, think, I think Maguire would be open about moving abroad. I think that, that would be, you know, something that, you know, would benefit him, maybe out the spotlight, maybe in a different league, a different course or a different environment. But as you say, will that affect his England chances? Obviously, you know, a year to go, well, obviously a year, you know, until the until the next European Championships, obviously England are all but there. Um, you know, and, and obviously Southgate, um, Maguire's obviously one of Southgate's, you know, prized assets at the back anyway. You know, really, even though he wasn't playing last season, he'd still be one of the first names on the team sheet. Um, so whether that affects his chances, I don't know. Um, but I think that'll have to come under serious consideration, you know, when if when or if Maguire decides to leave. Now, the next point that I'm going to raise, I have to point out that we are recording this Monday morning, so July 17th, around about 11 o'clock. As we're recording this, we haven't had official confirmation yet that uh, about Manchester United's next captain, but 
by all accounts, it is going to be Bruno Fernandes. We can probably say that with, with, with a fair deal of certainty on this. Uh, I'll be shocked that if, if someone's listening back to this, say Tuesday morning and it's Marcus Rashford instead, that might be a big surprise. But Bruno Fernandes wore the armband for much of last season when Harry Maguire was out of the side. As I say, they're recording this Monday. The expectation is it is going to be Bruno Fernandes as next Manchester United captain. Is he, you know, did he show last season where he was uh, the captain uh, in, in Maguire's absence that he is the right leader for this squad going forward? Personally for myself, I think, you know, even from day one, you go back, you know, three and a half years, just after Maguire was named captain in the first place and, and Fernandez had just joined from, uh, from Sporting, you could see then he was a leader and I think he was a leader in that side for that first six months. I mean, he dragged them kicking and screaming into places that he shouldn't have been. He was that influential, that talismanic. And I think he might have that same impact again. You know, I think he is the right fit for this, this next captain for Manchester United. But I'll just be intrigued to know your uh, your views on it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, actually. I think there was some debate after the sort of the 7-0 defeat at Liverpool about his antics, you know, on the pitch. Um, you know, we're obviously, with all that happened, you know, with the linesman and, and some of his behaviour, which obviously got slammed by some pundits. But I think I wrote something, actually, and I actually thought that, you know, it's refreshing to see a player care, you know, about, you know, I'm not saying all players don't care, but, you know, he visibly shows that he cares and, you know, he puts his heart and soul on the pitch. Um, you know, whether that, you know, some of his behaviour can be a bit controversial and, you know, at times, but I would much rather see my player, you know, show that, you know, he would, you know, give his, you know, everything for the shirt. And I think Bruno really... Um, you know, sort of sympathises, you know, the way I think, you know, a player should play. Um, and I think he, he suits Manchester United down to a T. You know, the, the fans want to show a bit of passion. He shows that, you know, and and I don't even think it's just that. He's, a, he's just a terrific footballer. You know, many people forget during his first full season, he got 28 goals and 17 assists. Like, you know, although... You know, a captain should be leadership on the pitch and it should be vocal, um, you know, traditionally, you know, but you could be a role model for your performances, you know, and, and and I think he, you know, especially in that season for me was, you know, I, I think, you know, deserved probably the player of the season award for that, for that season behind obviously Harry Kane, who obviously managed to win the golden boot and whatnot. But um I think, you know, I think he is probably the perfect candidate for me to, uh, to to take over and I think he'll do a good job. We're going to move on slightly, sticking with Manchester United, we're going to be talking about incomings now, uh, very briefly. Uh, again, recording this Monday morning, but the expectation is, is that, you know, eyes to be dotted, T's to be crossed on a deal to do with uh, Andre Onana uh, to replace David De Gea as their number one at Old Trafford. He's someone that Eric Ten Hag knows very well. He's someone that Eric Ten Hag has clearly identified very early on as, as being the number one ideal replacement for De Gea. Um, so I suppose <laughs> one thing to say on this is that he, he should be a good fit for Manchester United in that goalkeeping position. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, his performance in the Champions League final, his performances throughout the season for Inter Milan have, have pretty much, you know, sealed it for me. I think he would be a great signing, but... I think the thing that that that, um, that springs out to me is not for his performances for Inter is that he worked under Ten Hag at Ajax and he very much you know is aware of what Ten Hag wants his style of play uh, playing out from the back. So I think if Manchester United fans have any concerns, Ten Hag would have spotted them you know firsthand 
you know, during his time at Ajax, um, because he'd obviously seen him off the pitch, on the pitch, you know, his personality, how he, you know, trains, how he works, you know, his work ethic, you know, everything, you know, from, from, you know, top to bottom, I think Ten Hag would have seen in, in, in Onana and obviously, you know, if he wants him, um, you know, there's obviously no concerns about, you know, anything else really. So I think that would be the thing that, 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 that would excite me the most from the United fan perspective. Although obviously Anthony's not particularly worked out as well as, you know, hoped for, but I think as an honor has obviously played in multiple different leagues in Europe, I think that would, you know, benefit him probably more. Looking at Manchester United's uh, summer work on the whole um, and, and, and what they've done so far, obviously I know there's, Expected to join Mason Mount has already joined. There's going to be some outgoings. That's that's for certain. You know, Harry Maguire could be on the list. There's several others as well. We could probably devote a whole entire podcast talking to the players uh, that that could be leaving Manchester United this summer. But once they get that done, is is the fact that they still need probably an out and out number nine and an out and out striker uh, still probably the area of priority for them before the window shuts that they can't surely can't come into the new season without. A number nine, a real top class number nine. You know, obviously they, you know, tried to muddle through last season with Anthony Martial, Ronaldo occasionally in there, and then about Vegor still on loan. But let's be honest, <laughs> they could, they need to do a lot better than that, don't they? Absolutely. I mean, I think you know, a striker should have been right at the top of the shopping list before this. I Mason Mount. You know, I've got a few friends who are Manchester United fans, and I was, you know, saying straight away, why, what, why, why not? You know, why not splash that money on Harry Kane? You know, although, you know, historically, obviously, Daniel Levy is quite hard to sort of negotiate with. Um, and obviously, a Tottenham fan yourself, Ned, you'll probably be more than aware of, of you know, what and how hard it would have been to get Harry Kane away from Tottenham. But for me, I think Manchester United should have done everything to get him away. I think, although, um, you know, he's not sort of the quickest. Um, everybody knows Kane's quality is dropping in behind, you know, you know, inside the six-yard box. So... I think it would have suited them to a T, get two quick wingers, two quick attackers round him in Rashford and, you know, Rashford. I mean, to be, to be fair, obviously, they, them to have shown for England, you know, how how much damage they can do. Obviously, I remember, you know, the Spain the Spain away game and I think it was the Nations League in 2018 where Kane dropped deep and Rashford running behind. I think that would, would, would have been something that we would have seen a lot, you know, from Manchester United next season. But I think they should have gone, you know, to get a striker. But that, that would have, for me... Kane would have been the ideal, you know, person, but you know now there's been linked to is it Rasmus Hoyland? Is it from from Atlanta? Uh, Randall Kolo Mawani from from Frankfurt. So there's, been, there's plenty of players out there, but I think they still you still need a striker before the end of the window. Badly, I mean, they struggled for goals last season, um, and they've obviously lost Vegors, Although he didn't contribute to any goals, I think he allowed some of us around the other you know areas of the pitch to get forward. So. You know, for me, the strike, they've got to sign a striker for the end of the window. Moving on to Arsenal now, and again, another big story over the weekend, uh, which will be covered by the Mirror at the start and the Express. Declan Rice finally completing uh, that move to Arsenal. It felt like an eternity, I think, once uh, once the deal had been agreed and it was just thrashing out the finer details and the fine print and everything else that goes with it uh, before that deal was confirmed at the weekend. A very simple question here. How does he fit in at Arsenal? I think he fits in very well. I think he fits in, for me, um, 
as obviously the, 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 the second sort of pivot, but more advanced than, than Xhaka. I think he fits in, you know, in, in that sort of midfield three alongside, you know, Odegaard and, and Party. There's been a lot of talk, obviously, Havertz coming in and playing in that midfield three as well, alongside Odegaard and, and Rice. Obviously, you know, Party's been linked with a move away. Um, but for me, I think he's better when he's got another sitter alongside him, such as, um, you know, for England, for example, when Calvin Phillips is alongside him, I think it frees him up and able to drive the ball. And I think that would be perfect, you know, with, with Thomas Party alongside him at Arsenal. So um, I think he fits in really well. Obviously, he knows a lot of the, you know, some of the players from England duty, obviously Saka, um, Ramsdale, you know, Ben White. Um, obviously, he knows, you know, Eddie Nketiah previously, having played with him in the Chelsea Academy. So for me, I think he fits in really well. He, he slots straight into that midfield and and I think he does really well for Arsenal. I think he's a really good fit for both, both you know, the club and, and the player. Do you think it's crucial that both he and, and again, Yuri and Timber is another player that they announced um, just over the weekend on, on Friday. Uh, is it crucial that both Rice and Timber have this lengthy period of pre-season? They've obviously missed that first game against Nuremberg last week, but they've flown out with the team to the USA. So in terms of understanding the style of play and, and how Mikel Arteta wants Arsenal's play and setting up and, and adapting to that, but equally getting to know their new teammates as well, that, that this is perfect. You know, we've seen it time again that there are some transfer stories, transfer sagas that drag on a little bit and it kind of hampers that player when he gets to the new club because they're behind the eight ball. They've joined midway through the season and they're not able to build up those relationships enough. At least now Rice and Timber do have this opportunity of this trip to America where they can adapt not just to the style of play but also to their new teammates too. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, these pre-season tours are crucial for, you know, the clubs and the players because it's quite wisely spoken that, you know, a good dressing room and a good team spirit Gains you ten to fifteen points a season, and for me, that's for me. I think that's you know hundred percent correct. I think you know a good dressing room will pull you through matches. You know when you're one nil down, two nil down. A good dressing room and a good team spirit and a good you know bond between the players will will pull you out and get you a point. You know three points. So for me, I think you know it's crucial that Rice, Timber, and Haver sort of integrate into the squad because I think at times last season. Especially in February and March, I remember three, you know, a couple of games in particular that Arsenal, you know, were struggling. They really were. They looked fatigued, but I think the team spirit and the whole, you know, aura around the place managed to drag them through. I think the ones for me that that, that point out are the sort of the, the game away at Aston Villa. They were two one down. Villa were, you know, by far the better team, but Arsenal managed to find a way. And I think it was their sort of drive and their team spirit. Really, because spot after the you know the equalising goal from Zinchenko, I think it was midway through the second half, that all the players still believed they could win it. You know, there was there was belief, and I think you know, and I think I think that comes down to how Arteta's built the team and and in a young style of you know young way, and obviously Havertz, you know, Timber and um, Rice are all under the age of 24, 25 sort of you know position, so they fit right into the sort of the ethos of the of the place and. And I think it would be crucial for them to sort of, you know, um, integrate really well. Another game I remember, they were they were playing at home against Bournemouth. You know, a lot of people remember that 2-0 down. But again, I think the team spirit managed to get them through it. And, and obviously they came back to win the game. So, you know, for me, it's really important. They they sort of integrate in really fast. In terms of these signings as well, so obviously Havertz, Yeri and Timber, Declan Rice. Do Arsenal need anything more this summer? 
Is it maybe depth in one or two little positions? And are these signings the ones that are going to get them closer to Manchester City, overtaking potentially Manchester City next season? Yeah, I still think they need another another miss, another defensive midfielder. I think um, I think you you saw in the friendly against Nuremberg that I think they still lacked somebody defensively in defensive midfield wise that is similar to Thomas Party because I think obviously they lost Mohamed El Nenny um, and I just you know they've obviously lost Xhaka as well I just think Fabio Vieira isn't that man to be playing in the sort of the, the deeper roles because I, don't, I just don't think he's he's ready for it yet um, so I, do, I still think they need another central midfielder and then for other positions, I think they are. I think they're actually you know well well stocked everywhere else. You look at left back; they've got Zinchenko, Tierney, and Nuno Tavares. You know, right back maybe you could say they maybe need somebody who's a bit more you know well versed to that role with obviously Ben White, Tommy Asu, and Timber now. But I think yeah, for every position they're pretty much well stocked. I just think in central midfield, I think they're lacking somebody else in case Party gets injured. So I think if Party gets injured, yes, Rice. Havertz and Odegaard are, you know, well capable to play that three, but I think they need somebody else who's a bit more defensively capable on a weekly basis. Because I think Rice offers you so much going forward that to stick him so deep would would leave you, you know, I, th- I, th- I think he, would, you know, I think he's got so much to offer in that sort of number eight sort of free roam, you know, role that I think you need somebody next to him to do the defensive work as well. Just moving on to Liverpool now, sticking with the theme of defensive midfielders. Uh, clearly, the second half of this show has been, been sponsored by them. Um, but Liverpool potentially looking at Manchester City's Calvin Phillips. Uh, should Fabinho complete his move to Saudi Arabia uh, again, as, as we're expecting him to do so? That's a bit of a surprise, isn't it? Like, you know, as <laughs> Calvin Phillips was good for England in the Euros, had good seasons in Premier League for Leeds, but goes to Manchester City, and let's be honest, he doesn't set the world alight. And there are, you know, again, underlying issues that that were around that, you know, getting injured so early into his Manchester City career was never ideal. But come on, Liverpool and, and I can't. That, this this one really confused me. I know you're saying that you've been across, but yeah, it's definitely. I mean, it's probably up there with Oriol Romeo returning to Barcelona as the surprising stories at a transfer window, isn't it? Like I just, yeah. You always get one that comes out of the blue, and I could be proved wrong. Calvin Phillips could be great, but yeah. You see, I actually understand it. I, I actually understand it because one of the first areas I think Liverpool needed to recruit at the start of the transfer window was a was a defensive midfielder. You know, although Fabinho, you know, they had Fabinho, they had Jordan Henderson there. I think Fabinho was 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 you know far off the pace last season. There were times where Liverpool would be caught so far high on the counter-attack and there'd be space in, be, in between the midfield and the defence for sort of the creative players to get on the ball. And I think Liverpool really, really, really lacked a defensive midfielder with legs and energy. So I actually think it's a deal that actually would make sense if Phillips could, you know, get back to the levels he showed at Leeds in his first season. Because there's no doubt, you know, at the time in his first sort of season in the Premier League, that's what, I'm, you know, first season in the Premier League, not first season at Leeds, I think he was one of the best midfielders on the, you know, in the, in the, in the division. You know, alongside sort of Declan Rice and you know, and and and, and many others, but um, I actually think it's a deal that, that quite makes sense because I think he could play in that sort of number six role, but you know, he could also play in the number eight. You know, alongside another midfielder such as Alex McAllister with you know Shabash Loy ahead of them, 
you know, they've got plenty of options now. And I think it was a midfield that needed refreshing. Obviously, you've still got Thiago as well, who's a technically gifted footballer. Um, you know, but barring Phillips, there's obviously a lot of different, you know, other midfielders they've been looking at. Obviously, Romeo Lavia is one that springs to to mind. He would be, you know, for me, you know, I think he'd be more ideal than Phillips due to his age and his potential. Um, you know, although I don't think he's he's ready to to play for a sort of a a team chasing for the Champions League yet on a on a weekly basis. I think if he's playing sort of twenty to twenty five matches a season for Liverpool, it would give him more experience and and I think he, he's a player that could only just learn from that. Um but but going back to Phillips, I think, you know, he's shown for England what a top player he is. You know, both with and without the ball, you know, his defensive contributions, his tackling, his interceptions. Um but but obviously going forward with with obviously some of the, you know, I remember the assist against Croatia. It was it Croatia in particular at the at the Euros. Um I think he'd actually be a really good fit for Liverpool. You know, actually, although it is quite surprising that, you know, he struggled under under Pep, but I actually think if you get him back to his levels that he showed at Leeds, you know, especially in that first season in the Premier League, I think it would be a great signing. Despite the fact that, that Phillips struggled last season for Manchester City and, and, you know, by all accounts, obviously the fact that he was publicly calling him out just after the World Cup as well for the sake that he returned him, was, it's never a good sign with that when that happens and, and the manager comes to, to that point that he, he decides to do that. But even still, would would this be something that, that Guardiola would be happy to do to, to sell to rival? And I mean, I know we saw it last year with Raheem Sterling going to, to Chelsea um, and that didn't necessarily work out. So I don't know, maybe Guardiola's kind of thinking, oh, we could have that again and, and you know, it might not work out again and it could be fine. But I'd, I'd just be surprised again if, if kind of, despite the fact that Phillips didn't have his best season still, if uh, if, Pep Guardiola is happy to do business with a potential rival, even if Liverpool were a bit off the pace last year, because they can't be that bad again. They can't be, surely. Yeah, I, I'd be surprised if if Phillips actually does leave uh, City. Obviously, he's made it sort of clear, perfectly clear that he'd be happy to stay, you know, for another season and sort of show Guardiola what he's worth. I know you see, you know, in a lot of players that their second season at Man City is obviously a lot better than their first. Obviously, Grealish was, is the one that springs to mind. Last season, he was one of the first teams on the team sheet. Whereas his first season, he was, you know, a bit like Phillips, sort of roaming in and out of the team, not really getting a consistent run. So it would surprise me if if City do allow sort of, you know, Phillips to go. I know they've signed Kovacic in the, in the sort of midfield role. Um, but obviously that they allowed, well, I'd say they allowed Gundogan obviously has departed as well. Um, and I think if Rodri does get injured, I still think they are, you know, midfield alike. You know, although Stones can play in sort of the, the defensive midfield role, you know, and they can have players drop back. I still think Phillips would be, you know, dead, you know, the first aim on the team sheet if Rodri does get injured. So, um, yeah, I, I, it would surprise me if they do let him go. Um, as you say, you know, I don't think it's more the rival sort of perspective because I think obviously they sold two players to Arsenal last summer in the form of Jesus and Zinchenko. So, I don't think I don't think it's a rival sort of aspect of it. I think it's more the you know, what does City need? And and I think with Zinchenko and Jesus, they're able to replace them quite easily in the side. Whereas, you know, Phillips, he's not sort of the first in the team sheet. But I think if Rodri does get injured, I think they will need him. Kieran, thanks so much for joining us this morning. I really appreciate your time as always. Uh, to anyone listening, uh, just a quick little point in the direction of uh, some podcast shows that we've got coming up on Digest, actually, in the, in the coming weeks. So at the start of the Women's World Cup, just around the corner... 
Uh, we're going to be pivoting onto that. We're going to be having some great chats uh, around it, looking ahead to England's uh, group stage matches at Firth and obviously, hopefully, Charlie and the Lioness is going deep into the tournament out in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, we've got Jack Lacey Hatton out on the ground in Australia. He'll be joining the podcast uh, as well as some of the writers that are still based at home. They'll be on the show with us as well. So definitely one to look out for there. Um, of course, for anything relating to the transfer window, you can stay up to date for the latest across the Daily Mirror, Daily Star and Daily Express websites. But for now, it's goodbye. <laughs>